Turn with me to Luke and chapter 11, and we begin reading from verse 1. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. They say to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside, he answers and says, do not bother me. The door has already been shut, and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish, He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he asks for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? We have been taking a series of studies in the Gospel of Luke. And so far, we have come to chapter 11, where the Lord's Prayer has been introduced. And the whole idea of God's people praying for one another has been introduced to us. And what we have decided to do is to not only talk about praying for one another in the context of the Lord's Prayer, but we have gone on to see an outstanding example of doing that in the life of the Apostle Paul. And uh, he gives us a very striking example of what it means to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, Recorded for us are those what are called the four prison prayers by the Apostle Paul. We have the first one in Ephesians chapter 1, the second in Ephesians chapter 3, 
The third one is in Philippians, and the fourth one is in Colossians and chapter 1. Now, so far, we have looked at the one in Colossians, and uh, we have looked at the one in Ephesians chapter 1, and this morning, we will be looking at the one in Philippians and chapter 1. Remember, the Apostle Paul is in jail. He is incarcerated because of his faith. And yet when we read Philippians chapter 1 and all the other ensuing chapters, we see here is a man who, despite the fact that his outward circumstances are really difficult, here is a man who is filled with joy. He is filled with a sense of gratitude because of what Jesus means to him personally. And that he spends his time in jail, not complaining, but praying. And as he's praying, he's not praying for himself. He is praying for other Christians. And this is what we will be considering this morning. Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 9. And there the apostle says, as our brother already read, this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. Now, my own opinion is that this is probably the easiest of the apostles' prayers. And uh, I'll give you a reason why. Because if you notice that he is actually, we are told in verse 9, clearly what it is that he is praying for as he thinks about the Philippians. Notice with me, first of all, in verse 4. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 4, but to, in order to catch the thought, we begin at verse 3, and where it says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always offering prayer with joy, my every prayer for you all. So, the Apostle Paul is praying and he says us that it's every occasion when he thinks or he remembers the Philippians, it is with a sense of joy as he is praying for them. He is filled with joy because he can see the evidence of what the grace of God is doing in the lives of the Philippians. And then when he comes down to verse 9, he tells us exactly what it is he is praying for. And he says, this is my prayer, that your love may abound still more and more. And that is his basic prayer request for the Philippians. He is praying for them that they might grow in their love. Now, if you think about it, this is absolutely important because, in a sense, this is what the entire Bible is about. 
You remember how when somebody came to the Lord Jesus Christ and asked the question, which is the greatest commandment? The Lord Jesus Christ did not say, now, you know, it's not biblical to think in terms of which is the greatest. Without hesitation, he tells him, it is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. This is really what God has been doing in your life if you're a Christian. He is seeking to transform you into a person who is not self-centered, self-seeking, self-loving, or loving anything else in this world, but rather to transform you by the grace of God to be one who is looking away from self, away from anything else, and focused in love upon God. This is what God is doing. And this is what the apostle then is praying for as he prays for the Philippians, that they might grow in their love more and more. Elsewhere, the apostle Paul says that Christians must love one another because loving one another is the one biblical way in which to fulfill the commands that God has given, specifically the Ten Commandments. He says that is the way to live, and that is why he is praying for them. Now, every true Christian, the Bible tells us, has the love for God and love for fellow Christian. But what the Apostle Paul is praying for here is that they should increase, they should abound, they should be growing more and more in this love for God and love for neighbor. Now, with your finger here in Philippians, I will ask you to turn to the first letter of the Apostle Paul to the Thessalonians. First Thessalonians and chapter 4, and read with me in verse 9. He says something that's very similar to what he is praying for right here. Notice what he says in verse 9. First Thessalonians chapter 4. And verse 9. Now, as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. So that is what the Apostle Paul is praying for here as he thinks about the Philippians, that they will be increasing in their love for God, 
they will be increasing in their love for the Lord Jesus Christ. They will be devoted to him. And also at the same time, they will be increasing in their love for one another. Because the two go together. If you truly and sincerely love God, you are going to inevitably and consequently love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Indeed, you will even extend that love to people who don't even know God. This is what the Lord is doing in your life to transform you, to make you more like Christ, to make you that channel of blessing, and it is through you growing in your love more and more. So, this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying, I don't want your love to be a trickle. I don't want your love to just to be a stream. I want your love to be a flood. I want it to be gushing out of your heart because this is a supernatural work of God. And as God is working in you, that that love should be increasing more and more. That there will be this flood of the love of God working in your life. That you will be a channel of blessing. You will be an instrument in the hand of God. God is reaching out to a dying and hurting world because you are loving. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ, in fact, said to his disciples. This is how men are going to know you are my disciples. How are they going to know? Are they going to know because you're a Calvinist? Are they going to know because you're reformed? The Lord Jesus Christ tells us plainly, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. My friends, this is how we should be praying for each other. This is how we be praying for our brothers and sisters. This is how you as the congregation must be praying for your leaders. This is how we as leaders must be praying for our people. This is how spouses should be praying for one another. That God's grace will be working. That they will be able to see that supernatural love of God working in this world in the lives of God's people, in the lives of Christians. And so this is what he prays for. Not a stream, not a trickle, but this river, this flood of love gushing out of your heart to those who are in need. But notice the way the Apostle Paul puts it. In verse 9, I pray that your love may abound, may increase, may grow more and more. And then he says there, in real knowledge and all discernment. That's the way he characterizes the love that he is talking about. It's 
a love that is connected with a knowledge of God. It's a love that comes as a result of that intimate knowledge of God. Because God in grace, through Christ, has revealed himself to you. And that you are now beginning to grow in that experiential knowledge of God. The net effect of that experience is that you will grow in love. Now, since we have already dealt with Colossians, at this point, I just want you to note the similarity between this passage, Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, and Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9. That the Apostle Paul says pretty much the same thing, but he puts it in different words. So if you get there to Colossians 1 9, he says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. The same word for knowledge that's being used there. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And the knowledge there, if you recall the last time we were in that passage, is that experiential knowledge of God. It is that knowledge that comes because God in grace reveals himself to you. And you begin to know God, not just to know about God. That you experience God because he has revealed his grace to you. And as a result of that revelation, as a result of this acquaintance of God's wonderful, gracious dealings in your life, you increase in the knowledge of God. And as a result of that, your love grows more and more. But the Apostle Paul is not content to leave it there. He says, abound in love still more and more, in real knowledge and in all discernment. And the word there for discernment is just the word for being insightful, that having the wisdom to see the needs of your brothers and sisters and then being able to love them appropriately according to what they need. That your love is not just in word. It is a love that is practical. It is a love that comes down to help people. The Bible says, for God so loved that he gave. That love in the Bible is a very active thing. It is not just a feeling. It is you being able to meet the needs of others because you are loving them with being insightful. You are loving them because as you look at them and God helping you, you are able to see their real need. And then you are moved out of love and pity to meet that need. According, accordingly because of your discernment. And that is how the Apostle Paul 
characterizes the love that we must have. It is a love that is active. It is a love that is selfless and is concerned about the needs of others more than you are concerned about your own needs. Like the apostle says in Philippians chapter 2, do not look only to your own interests, he says, but to the interests of others. Do not put yourself first. Put others before yourself. And you do that from the motive of loving God and loving them. And this is what the Apostle Paul is praying for as he thinks about the Philippians. And then notice how he moves on then in verse 10, so that you may approve the things that are excellent. In other words, if you are growing in love more and more, as a result of that true or real knowledge, and that that love gives you that discerning heart, that insightfulness, that skillfulness to see the needs of your brothers and sisters, that you'll be able to approve what really will be appropriate for them, what is best for them, what is it that is going to meet the need in the best way. And that's what he means there when he says, you may approve the things that are excellent, the things that are appropriate, the things that are the best in the circumstance for the people that you claim to love. And then he says, because of that, this is what is going to happen. In order that you may be sincere and blameless. Now, if there's a, a problem amongst Christians, let alone just human beings, it is the problem of pretense, the problem of hypocrisy, the problem of people having a religious gap when they are in church, and yet when they go home, they become a completely different person. What the Apostle Paul is praying there is that the reason he is asking God to do that so that you may be sincere. In other words, you may be a man and a woman of integrity. That what people see is what they get. That you will be a truthful person. You will not be a person who is pretending to love them when in actual fact you do not. He is saying, he is praying for you to be sincere. And remember, if we don't love God's people in the way the Apostle Paul is describing here, we will not be blameless we will be blameworthy because we will inevitably fall into some kind of pretense, into some kind of hypocrisy, 
into some kind of one face at the church, another out of the church. And the way to avoid that kind of hypocrisy, the way to avoid that kind of acting is to be sincere, it is to be blameless. Why? Because you are growing in love more and more. And as you grow in Christ, you love Christ, you become sincere, blameless, trustworthy, you become a man, a woman of your word, you become a person who has real integrity that human beings can attest to you. They will remember this person, I have lived with this person long enough. I know how selfless he is. I know how dead to self they are and how they are willing to sacrifice for others. That, that is a reputation you build because you are consistently growing in Christ, consistently seeking to live for Christ and seeking to love others, to put others ahead of yourself. This, my, brethren, my beloved brothers and sisters, is the way to pray for ourselves, is the way to pray for our brothers and sisters, that they will be people who are completely removed from hypocrisy. They are sincere. They are men and women of their word. Their word is their bond because they love Christ and they love God's people and they seek God's glory. So he says there, in order to be sincere and blameless, but notice there, until the day of Christ. And what the apostle is saying there is that that should be our goal to persevere in doing what is good, to continue in doing what is good. Now, it doesn't mean that you will not fail. There are many opportunities that will come and you will fail. And once you do, that you will quickly recognize your failure and repent of it and continue to pursue that goal of being sincere and blameless and persevering to the very end until the day of Christ. So this is not just something you do today or tomorrow. This should be our way of life. This should be the way in which we spend our time on earth. We are seeking to grow in our love for God, in our devotion to Christ, in our love for our brothers and sisters until the day of Christ. 
This is what we mean by the perseverance of the saints. This is what we mean, once saved, always saved. We mean that once God has begun a good work in you, that that work will continue to grow from strength to strength. That there will be evidence, increasing evidence in your life that you are growing in the knowledge of God and a result of that true acquaintance with God in your own heart. That you will be sincere and that you will be blameless and that men and women can attest to the fact that you are a genuine article. You are not a religious fraud. You are not just a person who comes to church. Jesus Christ actually lives in your heart. And you are proving it by the fruit of love. Fruit of love for Christ and fruit of love for his people. And then finally, he says in verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, we must understand that phrase, the fruits of righteousness, in the context of the prayer of the Apostle Paul. And he is basically praying for love, that they might have an ever-increasing love for God, an ever-increasing love for his people, and the result of that is that they will be dominated by the fruit of the Spirit. Remember, if you read Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, the first thing mentioned there is what? Love. That is what the Apostle Paul is praying for that you will be able to grow in your love for Christ, in your love for his people, and that will lead your life to produce the fruit of righteousness. And the fruit of righteousness has its root in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Do you recall when he was here on earth in John 15, he says, I am the vine. And if you are in Christ, you are the branches. And he says, it's those who abide in Christ who bear much fruit. This is not something you can produce on your own. This is supernatural fruit. It comes as a result of being vitally connected with Christ and the working of God's power in your heart and life to produce this fruit, and this fruit will be to the glory and praise of God in Jesus Christ, our Savior. That is how to pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. And the question is, is this how you pray? And the opportunity this morning to encourage you, to point you in the right direction. And 
God in his grace will teach you to pray. And here is an outstanding example of a Christian praying for other Christians. And we must take advantage of this example. Elsewhere, the Apostle Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And here is one way in which we must imitate him. It is to pray for ourselves, pray for one another, and to pray the love of God will be an ever-increasing phenomenon in your own life and experience. That you will be concerned that you are bearing fruit and that fruit is bringing glory and honor to God. What that means is that if this is what is happening in your life, the people around you, whether they are converted or not, they can testify that there is something unusual about you. You are not like everybody else. Why? Because God is working in your life. The power of God is at work in your heart and life and causing you to love God, to love the Lord Jesus Christ, and to love his people. My friends, I want to say, we cannot overemphasize that. Christianity is a supernatural religion. It is not something you can achieve by force of will or commitment. Mm -hmm. By nature, we are completely unable. And that is why your need, your inability is God's opportunity. You must look away from yourself. You must look away from anything else. You must look to Christ. Trust in him. Rely on him. And be obsessed with him as the one who is able to bring about this fruit. He is able to bring about this work that God will be honored and glorified in your life. Once again, that is the question. Is this your understanding of the Christian life? Is this your experience of the Christian life? Is this the way you have come to know Jesus. And this morning, if all the answers to those questions is no, I urge you to seek God, to cry to Jesus. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with him and bring your empty heart to him and cry to him for mercy, for pardon, cleansing for grace and remember that wonderful promise he made 
he who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Look to him. Cry to him. Depend on him. And he will come through for you. That you will become an enigma to yourself. Remember how the Apostle Paul says, it's no longer I who lives. And he says, in one sense it's me. But in another sense, it's not me. Because I cannot have done this in myself. It is the power of Christ at work in my life. I live, yet not I, but Christ living in me and living through me. May God, who is all merciful and gracious, be pleased to work that grace in your life and in your experience for the praise and glory of his majestic name and for your own good and for the good of all those who are around you. May his name be glorified. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.